Well, good morning, guys. How are y'all doing this morning? I'm great. Good. Great. Good, good. How was your day yesterday? Well, I, uh, as you know, I, I preached for the fine folks at Beulah yesterday morning, and uh, we had a good service, had a good time, um, and uh, always good to be able to share the word and fellowship with them. Last night at Matt's, we had a good small group. Um, well attended, uh, lively. <laughs> yeah, always. <laughs> Not only in terms of discussion, but but all all the way around, it was a sight and sound extravaganza. So, uh, anyway, it was a it was a good night, and uh, uh, it's also Daphne's birthday. So you know, we got to we got to do a minor celebration here. Wow, is she seventeen or sixteen? Seven, seven, seventeen. Seventeen. Oh wow! That's right. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I remember when she was just a little is, girl coming to I know, church. Um, I know it's amazing, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, a little old peanut. <laughs> we're, that means we're getting old, right? Well, you, well, you are. <laughs> Mike, how you doing, brother? How was your day yesterday? Good. It was good. Uh, it was good. I, I started from the from the uh, our, our men's uh, Bible study to the worship service to the uh, community group was was great uh good food we had we had good food we also celebrated a birthday it was uh uh P peggy joe's birthday so we had cake and sang to her and had cake and ice cream for dessert well i hope we'll bring nice. some of that cake this morning you think there might be some showing up <laughs> oh yes yeah okay there's, there's some right. of the vanilla we we saved the some of the vanilla now pj took all the um the chocolate home with her i'm not sure she's going to be bringing any to uh, prayer meeting but there is Dude. vanilla cake left i can do vanilla yeah mm. <laughs> good good yeah well guys why don't we jump into it we are once again uh probably biting off a whole lot more than we can chew here and um trying to keep this to about an hour we have just some small little bitty topics to talk about like immutability yeah. and sovereignty and god's knowledge and god's moral uh Excellent. So not real big subjects, just small little bitty ones, right? It's so easy to to just almost exhaust it in an hour, right? <laughs> uh yeah, if we speak if we speak like that guy years ago on that on that uh, or actually any any uh uh any commercial where they're trying to cover the terms of service. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. They, they have they have that professional fast talker. So yeah, if we did oh. that. All right. Well, let, let, let's dive into it. Uh, we do have uh, a lot to talk about here today, and it's all about the doctrine of God. And so it really just lifts our hearts up. And, and I love how uh, Joel Beakey does this in his systematic theology, because he really hooks it to a lot of scripture. And I know there's some systematic theologies that that uh, some are heavy into that, and some are not so heavy. And and with some, I mean, that they, they would just strictly deal with the theology of it almost to the exclusion of Scripture. I mean, they'll bring in a few Bible verses here and there. And then you have some who are really weighed heavily and, and are really uh, tethered to the text. Uh, I love what Beaky does. I think of... Uh, uh, Wayne Grudem, you know, some things in his systematic, uh, or, you know, maybe wouldn't see eye to eye on, but one thing that he does do is he really seeks to ground it in the word of God. Uh, another one that comes to mind is Robert Raymond. He was really in his new systematic theology. He really, really, uh, had a lot of scripture all throughout that. So, uh, so it, it, it's, it's refreshing. And I love to see that just to take your theology and anchor it down into the word of God. And I love what Beaky does there. And so, uh, so we're continuing uh, a discussion that we ended off with last time. We were looking at uh, the doctrine of immutability, and we looked at the first part of it. And so now we come into the second part, and we talk about uh, two very, very important things. And, and I know when I think of immutability, these are, are, are two major things, and I love that Beaky points it out. It's God's relationships and God's repentance. Uh First of all, let, let's just define immut immutability again. What what is the doctrine of God's immutability? Well, God's immutability, the word immutability by itself just means uh, 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 incapable of change. 
mm-hmm. or or does not change and does not have the, the 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 capacity to change. And I think both those are true of God in the sense in which He puts it here. Uh, and by change, there what we mean, and this is where the theological problems come in. By change, we mean that there is no change in the in the essence of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it is uh, that it is from eternity. Uh, uh, immutable in itself, that his purposes shall stand. Uh, and as the problems come into the issues that we're going to talk about here, that is, what about his relationships and what about his repentance? What about the biblical language that would suggest otherwise? Uh, and this is where, and I think Beaky mentioned this well, and this is where I think modern theology, and I think, Jaban, you're getting at that as well, modern theology actually Long, uh, actually hooks itself to philosophy in that sense and tries to look at immutability in terms of modern philosophical categories. Mm-hmm. And, per- and particularly, I think, um, uh, repentance, uh, uh, God's repentance, again, is a major factor, but the uh, but his relationships, I think, is where the greatest challenge comes in and really where, Van, you and I and our relationship with uh, a major Reformed Baptist Evangelical Association where they really uh, staked their flag and and said, get in or get out kind of thing. And that is, can God relate to us as his creation and in covenant relationship with us without, without actually being, <laughs> being, being subject to being changed by the experiences as we are? Um, we are mutable. And, and I think Beaky makes a good point of this. We are mutable in the sense that uh, we are changed by experiences. Uh, uh, we, we, are, we are either improved or, or we are hardened or uh, we are. I mean, that's fair to say. I think we are the sum of our experiences. And I think that would be the, the modern world. Uh, but that's not all that we are. Um, the uh, and, uh, and I think theologically, that's what we need to understand as well, is that in that that in that uh, changing of relationships and relationship to God, I mean, it is something that God expects of us. Repentance, mm-hmm. re- repentance is a is a true action that results in change <laughs> of life. And it comes and it comes at a direct command of God again and again and again, not a, not a not an incidental factor. Uh, but in God, again, I think Beaky does a wonderful job of just showing uh, that God can do his eternal purposes, can, in essence, be unchanging and immutable, while at the same time entering into relationships with us, the description of which in the biblical text would use what we would call anthropomorphic language in order to in order to describe it. Uh, and that is, I mean, how, how do you how do you describe a change of direction, which uh, in essence is what God is doing here? Uh, he repents or he relents from this. In other words, he changes his path. Um, I think Beaky would say, and I think the, uh, the the Bible would say that that's not a change in God, but it is indeed uh, within His character. Uh, it would be something that we would respect. Now, it's proximate to the repentance of His creatures. But again, it doesn't say it doesn't put it on the level of his creatures. So I, I think that covenant relationship there is very important in understanding uh, the relationship of God and believers, and particularly in the matter of change. So, mm-hmm. well, Mike, what what would you have to say about this? Just God, just in general, his immutability. In, in, in general, I, I, he doesn't change. And I'm going through all the, I, I enjoyed reading it. Um, this, this chapter, but God, and from my viewpoint and understanding, God, God does not change. What, what is changing is his people and the relationship we have with them. And I think about all the, you know, we have God's statute, God's laws. We, uh, we have the covenants. Uh, and uh, it's, 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 uh, it's God's people. It's us that are changing. We are being conformed more and more into the image of God. And that changes our relationship with God. God's not changing, but we are the ones that are changing. And we're changing in our mm-hmm. heart and our love for God. And I, I just think about, and I was thinking about this uh, when I was reading early this morning. And it just dawned on, you know, in the, in the military, we have the Uniform Code of Military Justice. We have right. all the these you know these are the laws and and they're and what why do we have them we have them for the good order and the functionality and the safety and the care of the force 
And then those, you know, you, you, uh, you either conform or you're punished or you're driven out, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. And the big difference between that and what we look at with a loving, uh, unchangeable God is there's love. You know, there's a love, there's a relationship, pretty much in the Uniform Code of Military Justice. It's a one way relationship. I mean, it's just, you know, here it is. And uh, so I, I, um, I was, uh, I, I enjoyed reading. That's how I look at it. So God's not changing. We are changing. We are growing in our, in our knowledge of God and who we are compared to holy God. So that's, that's kind of how I see, you know, this chapter on immutability. Uh, Mike, yeah. I think that's, I think that's a very good analogy. Uh, and I like the, I like, I like the analogy of UCMJ being a top-down float. And I think when we understand this as well, I think we see that I help, I think it helps us to understand God as well is because again, in that covenant relationship, I mean, he's very clear and never wavers in the fact that do these things and you'll live. Uh, and yeah. again, the, the code, the, again, the law of Moses does not bring life, but again, within it is revealed the structure within, within which we live. Uh, and, um, in our relationship with him, we either change or the conditions of that covenant come, uh, come descending on us, as you say, the, uh, the, uh, military law does, uh, but, but your analogy of love there is, is great in the sense that, uh, God can relent of that, not in a way that doesn't, that, that is not serious about sin, but he can relent in a way where, um, um, he can, and I think in a later chapter, we talk about his long suffering and his patience. And very often we see that as well is, um, uh, it's not that the consequences, it's not that the consequences of our actions or our disobedience are, 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 are not real. And, and they are, they don't register with God and they don't mount, they don't mind, they don't matter to God. It's just the fact that, uh, that God will forego the, uh, the uh the the uh, results of that uh in patience uh and will move not against his law and not against disobedience but in grace and in mercy yeah mm -hmm. yeah that, that that's very good that's very good and i want to uh just just say one more word about the aspect of god and his relationships and then i want to go to to something very important. And I think, you know, even if we take a little extra time on this, I think we should, because I know it's a question that a lot of people have, and that is, uh, that is God in regard to repentance, because the Bible yeah. does very clearly and plainly say that God repents. But before we move to that, just one more thing about, uh, God's relationships. I know for me, when I was, uh, first really looking into this and, and, and reading a lot of these things that discuss it, there's a lot of philosophy that plays into it. Yes, sir, uh, yes. A lot of Latin as well, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, yeah. we talk about God, who he is and his being, you know, ad intra and God, who he is as far as his out external relationships and actions. And that's ad extra, you know, in, in Latin, but, uh, but, you know, to, for me to kind of get it in my head, when you have, God, who, who, who is his attributes, God, who is his perfections. And, and this, this may, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, all sort of analogies or illustrations break down, but for me, it was helpful to think almost, uh, and again, just, just by way of a helper here, this is not explaining who God is, but it's almost like, <clears throat> like, like you think of a, a sun and the rays of the sun shining down. So, so here's God. And God always has the attributes of wrath, you know, justice, grace, mercy, uh, all these things, and they're constant. They're they're always shining down, as it were. Yeah. And and the difference is where is man located as as these rays are shining down? Where is man located in that? Uh, am I over here? And again, this is a weak way to try to explain yeah. it, but am I over here where, where I'm underneath the, the rays of God's justice and wrath, or have I come to know Christ and my sins been forgiven? And so now there's a new relationship to me, you know, God didn't change in his being and who he is. He is still all of these attributes all at once. But what happened is I changed in relationship to God's perfections and in, in relationship to God's virtue. So therefore I, I'm no longer under his wrath. I'm under his, his grace and his mercy 
uh, toward me. And so again, God in his being has not changed. He continues to be who he's always been from eternity past. But what has changed is his outward relationship to who I am based upon where, where I have changed. And even that can be traced back to God's sovereignty. You know, why did I change? Because God is sovereign. And it was in his sovereign degree decree for me to change. And, and we'll talk about this a little later when we talk about omnipotence and all, you know, God's decree, God's plans are, are ad intra they're within himself. So his plans never change, but again, uh, the outworking of those plans as it affects us and we change. So therefore, um, the relationship changes. So uh, am I getting it right there, guys? Am I kind of, uh, again, I know it's a weak no. illustration to think of, but no. just a distinction between God in himself and God outside yeah. of himself with his relationships toward others. No, I think it's very good. And again, um, I, uh, to build on the, the exponent, the very good explanation you gave there, uh, these rays, as you say, or we call the attributes, I think this is where our confusion is. It's because as communicable attributes to us, we see these mixing ourselves and we see the conflicts that comes between these. And we somehow or another, uh, I know some people do often simply project these back onto God and say, well, you can't be wrath and you can't be love. You can't be justice and you can't be long suffering and, and, you know, so forth and so on. Uh, there, there's not, we can't conceive of a mixture uh, or a combination of those uh, in our minds that would uh, accomplish what God does uh, to do so uh, according to his own will, uh, uh, ad intra uh, his own will, and ad extra in relationship to us, again, is the constancy of his character. Uh, and again, in everything that he does, uh, it is moving, it is changing, not in God, at extra, uh, but at extra in us as well. I think that's a great explanation. Uh, mm -hmm. I think uh, you've nailed it on the illustration there. As a matter of <laughs> okay. fact, with your permission, I will write it down and use it again. So, Oh, well, if, if you think it has merit, go for it, brother. Mike, did you want to say anything on that? I, I just yeah, want to no, read I, I, Yeah, so, yeah, you know, I haven't, it's like the, the rays, so we're moving within the rays, uh, but God's out, God's outward re, um, or, or relationship with us is not changing. It's always been there. We're just moving within the rays into that relationship. Is that what I'm hearing? Is that, well, is that well, a sort of God, yeah. God, for lack of a better word in this illustration, he's a son and right, the rays yeah. are constant. They're always shining down. So yeah. the rays representing his attributes, they're always shining down. So in his essence, who he is, you know, the sun, that that's constant, that never changes. But as the rays hit, we are at different places. So therefore, as, as the quote unquote ray of his wrath would hit a certain area, maybe his relationship to me, that's where I'm at, at that current point. And so yeah. therefore I'm under his wrath, uh, as it were, okay. but you know, by grace, I may move over here, to where okay. now I'm under the, the ray of his mercy and grace. So, so his relation, his outward relationship to me has changed based upon where I am, but who he is in himself has oh. not changed because right. all of these rays are constantly shining out and they never change. They never uh, differentiate uh, they're, they're just constant. Uh, God has not changed. What has changed is I have changed. Yep, that's right. Yep. So, so, uh, so, I mean, again, it's, you know, my best effort at trying to understand it with, with an illustration, but, but that, that does well, go to the truth of what, yeah, what we're uh, saying. Uh, very, very quickly, if I could what would really throw my heart if is if you've got a chalkboard behind you there, <laughs> pick a big old piece of chalk and just made the chalk fly right, extra. Add intro. <laughs> there you go. And I wonder who you're imitating there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you uh, get that old, uh, yeah, 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 with that Gerstner growl. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So scribbly cursive. So really as we move in, you know, the, the rays and the individual, what we're talking about is really the, like the rebirth and then the sanctification and the growth in our in, in our relation with God, correct? Well, that, I mean, that would change his, his, his relationship to you. Yeah. 
you, yeah. you're no longer under his wrath you're under his grace and so and then you know there's all these different aspects of relationships you know the covenantal aspect and all that 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 would all play with that but but again god is not changing it's not changing. like yeah right. in his own mind he he has changed yeah. something within himself right and i uh, go ahead i'm sorry was it, was, well i was about to say yeah, that's no, going to lead us into repentance no, like, but it, it will actually it right. will lead us into repentance uh both as a subject and uh <laughs> yeah uh yeah but uh, before we do that let me just read this uh what beaky says here so on page 706 before he gets into repentance he says this he says yeah, these divine affections, and again, in, in my little illustration, the divine affections are the different rays that are shining down. These divine affections are manifestations at various points in time of God's eternal immutable will, not a shifting pattern of oscillation or alteration in God himself. To reject this understanding would require us to see God is composed of innumerable changing emotions, responding with degrees of pleasure and displeasure to all the acts of sinners, saints, angels, and demons in the universe. So what Beaky is saying there is he's saying if God is changing within himself, he would be doing it at the uh, the stimulus of of people. If God in himself is changing, you know, if, 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 if I changed in my relationship to God, and so therefore in his mind and who he is and his being, if he changed, Beaky is saying he would just be constantly changing. Think yeah. of all the billions and millions of people, uh, trillions, I, I guess we could say, maybe throughout all human history. I don't know about that, Marvin. You might have to correct me on the number. <laughs> but but how how much would God have to be changing in himself to react to each and every person and yeah. their change yeah. well, in his and, relationship? And that's where, and I think Beaky mentions this, and I think he fleshed it out in other places, uh, that's where the modern challenge of not only pantheism, but more importantly, panentheism, Mm -hmm. I think, I think that's the attraction of that is the fact that God is not only re, as God is not only sensitive to our actions, but he's made up by our actions. And that's the only way that the, uh, and this is mainly from mid 20th century German theologians like Moltmann, Pannenberg, and some of the ones he cites here. Uh, the Holocaust was a huge, was a huge determinant in this. How could God allow 8 million uh, Jews to be slaughtered like that. Uh, where was God and all that? And again, mm -hmm. the only way really to make sense of that is to say that God had no control over that. Uh, but God is being made up and his compassion is true because of the fact that he's affected or made up by those actions. So it's a, it's a deviant way of looking at it, but it is an attractive way for a lot of, for a lot of people in terms of the, in terms of the, uh, uh, the, the, uh, theology of suffering. Yeah. Yeah. Well, guys, let's move on to uh, the doctrine of repentance. And uh, I will throw this out to you all for, for much comment. But let me just set this up by saying, okay, so we're saying that God in his being and who he is, he does not change. Now, when you think about repentance and the classic definition of repentance is a change of mind. And if I'm changing my mind as a human being, my mind I mean, that's, you're getting to the very heart of who I am. You're getting to the very heart of my being. So, so how can scripture say that God repents, but at the same time that God does not change, that God is immutable? How, how do we reconcile those things? Well, I, I, I'll take a start at it. Um, as you know, then in the Greek, uh, the word for repentance, metanoia, literally means change your mind. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, in terms of that, then uh, trying to describe that is ours, is our reaction or is our action in that. Again, that's always in in reaction to what God does. Um, to God's reaction to us, if you want to put it in those terms, and I think that's a fair way to put it because he does react to us, not in a way that changes, not in a way that changes him, but he reacts to us according to, as you said before, all of, all of his attributes, which are active in his essence uh, and, and active within the persons of the Trinity as well in the way that they relate their various, their various uh, 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 functions and, and so forth. Uh, um, uh, to talk about that uh, then, 
as we said earlier, really is to strive for language in order to describe that. And I don't know how we would describe that other than in the in the language like that. Um, I mean, uh, to describe God changing his mind, I mean, it actually requires us to get back into the into the essence of God and to understand his, understand the Godhead in order to understand how God can change his mind like that. So, I mean, it's not that the biblical writers don't avoid that or don't affirm that theology that God is unchanging. But again, I think part of it is just the accommodative nature of the language that they're forced to use. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a start. That's not a complete, uh, that's not a complete reaction to that. Yeah. Mike, what would you have to say on it, brother? Well, I'm just looking at it from what I've, <clears throat> on page 709, you know, it's, at the very top, it says, you know, repentance of mind implies a mistake and God cannot make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And then it goes on, it references Genesis 6, and then down towards the bottom of the page, uh, he said, sin does not cause God's plan to fail, but mysteriously fulfills them. Um we should interpret God's repentance in Genesis 6 and 7 to refer not to a change of his plan, uh, but a change in his dealings with man, a change that he planned from the beginning for his glory and salvation of his people. Uh, so, I mean, you know, God, God has a plan, had a plan before time, and he uses, you know, at times he uses uh, sin, sinful people, sinful yeah. nation to accomplish his plan. He's not yeah. changing his mind. <laughs> No, it's a manifestation of his eternal plan. Yeah, it is. Right, right, right. So, so what, what you're both saying is that basically God, God does repent in that God changes the way he is dealing with people. He, he's dealing with them in a certain way. He changes the way he deals with them. And, and we could say anthropomorphically, the way we could understand it, He's changed course, or maybe even, uh, in a sense, changed his mind, but only in relation to us as we would understand it. But in his being and who he is, that has been his eternal plan all the time. In other words, right. the repentance is a means by right. which he is accomplishing his never-changing eternal plan. Is that is that what you guys are saying? I think so. Yeah, and I think that uh, I think that that eternal plan, in terms of the way it comes to us, uh, for instance, again, using the analogy of the rays of his attributes there, uh, there are times when we deserve punishment, we deserve wrath for our sins, but it's, it's forbear, it's forborn. Uh, it's mm-hmm. not, it's not that it's not paid for as Christians. It is paid for in Christ, which is why the biblical writers are so insistent on the fact that, uh, uh, that it is not a cheap grace, uh, that it did cost, but in, our relationship to it, that it is a, uh, uh, that is that which, uh, which we should keep a short account of. I, th- I think that's exactly right. 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 Mike, you have anything you want to add to that or no, I'm, no, no, sir. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I agree. So, so, uh, so we would think of true repentance as, you know, we're, we're going along a certain way. And like you said, the Greek word metanoia change of mind, something happens to us. And then, and, and uh, Mike, it goes to the quote you read that uh, that uh, repentance implies that there's been a mistake made. I mean, something has to happen. We're, we're going one way, you know, we're going south, and then we realize something, and now all of a sudden we turn around and we're headed north. Something made a course correction. We realized something was wrong, something was off. Uh, but that, oops, excuse me, that's a Christian's alarm to go feed the alpacas. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so, feed so, the animals. That's right. So, so God doesn't, uh, God doesn't do that in his mind and his being his course is set. His plan is set for all eternity, but in relationship to man, he uses that he uses bringing man a certain direction and all of a sudden turning man and bringing them another direction, changing the relationship he has with him. But again, that going back to the doctrine of immutability, that is his our relationship, and that is not a change happening in himself. He is constantly and consistently going along with his eternal plan, and this was part of his eternal plan. Yes, yes, indeed it is. Uh, and again, the way it manifests itself to us is not always understandable, and it's not always according to our laws of cause and effect. 
Um, yeah, uh, all of his attributes will be will be glorified uh, and, and will be shown in every action, but sometimes in a way only known to the to the mind of God, as you so as you so well say, what appears to us to be a change of course uh, actually is uh, uh, actually is God implementing His will in a different way, using that particular sin as the occasion of, mm-hmm. uh, and we, we see that a lot in the judgment of the nation of Israel as well. I mean, uh, imagine the surprise when Isaiah says uh, there'll be a there'll be a bird from the east, uh, Cyrus mm-hmm. of Persia. Uh, will will come and will uh, uh, and will uh, uh, be the instrument, an ungodly instrument, but an instrument nonetheless, uh, fulfilling the promise of God in terms of returning them to the land. So. Right, absolutely. Well, let me just uh, read this little piece by Beaky, and we will. Uh, sorry about that. That's more. <laughs> more alarms. See, I have to have all these reminders. I would forget everything if I didn't. So I've got a million alarms set to well, go you, off all you, through the day. You lead an alarming life for sure. Oh, very, <laughs> very, very alarming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't have an ordinary life. <laughs> that, that, that is the understatement of the year. So let me, uh, let me kill a few of these alarms before they, uh, before they pop up. Before again they kill here. you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, uh, so anyway, let, let me just, uh, sort of finish off this discussion with, uh, with what we're talking about here and then we'll move on to omniscience and wisdom. And, um, and I, I can tell already, we, we are not going to be able to, to, uh, to give, well, not even to touch on everything we read. So, but anyway, all right. Uh, bottom of page 715, Beaky sort of summarizes it. And he says, we may summarize our conclusions as follows. The Bible asserts that God repents, but it also denies that he repents because he is not a man. Therefore, the language of divine repentance is analogical and anthropomorphic, which is what you stated, Marvin. Mm-hmm. We may not ignore it, for repentance reflects an important truth about God. He changes the course of his actions toward people when they sin or repent of sin. Sin and repentance change our relationship to God. On the other hand, we must not apply to God the human instability or passion suggested by repentance, for the eternal God does not change, and neither do his plans. Edward Lee, who is a Puritan, said that God's repentance is, quote, not affective, but effective, effective, not an inward change in his thoughts and feelings, but an outward change in his acts. Charnock said, quote, repentance in God is only a change of his outward conduct according to his infallible foresight and immutable will, end quote. And again, his outward conduct being just that, his yep. outward conduct, his in, immutable, infallible will being his who he is in his being well and this goes back to discussion we had about god as pure act as well and Mm -hmm. i think this captures that very well when he talks about the course of his actions towards people uh again uh that's it i mean uh in terms of uh god not being composed or affected by these events but acting uh according to according to his will and according to his his essence i think i think the actions would reflect that description that Beaky had given earlier of God. Right. Right. Well, I'll tell you what, um, I'm looking at the clock and according to it, if we stick to an hour, we have like 26 minutes left. So why don't we skip some of this and why don't we go to another area where with uh, some people, it it creates a little heart heartburn. It creates uh, uh, some issues and let's go uh, to God's sovereignty. Okay. Let's talk about the doctrine of of God's sovereignty and, uh, and he deals with it in uh, under foreknowledge. He talks about uh, foreknowledge uh, uh, God's knowledge. Part two is the name of the chapter foreknowledge. And he talks about objections to god's foreknowledge and i don't want to get so much into the objections but um but when we talk about divine foreknowledge and we talk about uh god's sovereignty in that what um what what are we saying when god is sovereign let's just start off with that uh it just simply means uh that god is a king uh is a hegemon as the political scientists would say uh, that he has absolute right to rule as he as he chooses. <clears throat> I mean, uh, everything belongs to him. There's nothing uh, 
uh, in the created order that was before him or prior to him that affects his choice as, as the divine ruler, not only of his people, but also of creation itself and ongoing providence. God has absolute right to do whatever, whatever he deigns to do. Uh, and, 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 and we have no grounds to object to it. Right. Yeah. And by the way, I gave the wrong chapter. It's not 39. 39 is actually the buildup. Foreknowledge is the buildup to chapter 40, which is God's sovereignty. And the subtitle of the, <clears throat> of the chapter is an introduction to omnipotence. So he says at the bottom of page 40, I like what he says here. He says, God's sovereignty has many facets. Yeah. It resides in his infinite divine nature, appears in his decreeing of all things, crystallizes in his election of those whom he will save by God's grace and in his reprobation of those whom he will damn for their sins and carries all things along by his works of providence, which are according to his will. Yeah, so providence uh, is very important. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, and then he talks about aspects of God's sovereignty. And I think uh, a thing that's very important for us to define, and let me, let me see, uh, let me find a page. He, he talks about it, uh, his decorative will and his perceptive will. There it is on page 765. Well, what, what is the difference of, of those two? If someone was to say, I mean, let's just take, you know, uh, Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 23, 24. Uh, I think we have it right there in one verse where it talks about Christ being lifted up uh, upon the cross by the predetermined plan of God. Uh, Peter preaching that day says you put to death by godless hands. I think in that one verse, we see God's decorative will, his will of decree, what he's decreed and his perceptive will, his precept, his law, what, what he, what he commands us to do, or in this case, not to do. So how do we find, define those two things? What, what is the difference between God's uh, decorative will and his uh, will of precept. Well, his decorative will or his uh, will by decree uh, is the first part in the most natural association we make with his sovereign kingship. It just means that uh, when the king says, when the saint king says, do it, it gets done or it's, <laughs> Uh, or, or it's, uh, or you're obligated, it's obligated to be done under, under some, under some action for, for not doing it. Um, and that's where he is. Um, in terms of us preceptive will, as you say, I think, I think it's a, a great uh, beaky. And I think you're bringing it up basically is really the two of those joined together, uh, is because of the fact that, uh, and it is one of the greatest problems in modern theology and the objection by the way with um, a lot of our Armenian friends some not all I'd say to a minority of them actually maybe the open theists uh, that would say uh, how could how could God punish his son like that uh, how mm. could God de could, could decree from eternity past uh, that his son would would be uh, uh suffering and, and crucified and lashed and his body mutilated badly and his blood spilled on behalf uh it's uh, uh as uh, christopher hitchens used to say it's celestial child abuse is what it is mm -hmm. but to understand the preceptive will of god in that is indeed to to marry the two of those together because there is that death is not a cruel, unjust death in the sense that preceptively, uh, it is the, uh, it is his, uh, it is his enacting divine wrath upon our, upon our sins, upon the sin, upon the sins of his people. And in that sense, then it makes, it makes sense because it is the display, not only of wrath, but also of mercy as well. The two of those are married together. And again, going back to your Ray's analogy, Dan, uh, uh, I mean, that that's again, where if we forget that and we forget to trace those attributes back up into the essence of God, we get confused by the fact that in the death of Christ, you do see God carrying out, uh, carrying out his uh, justice and his wrath upon his son on behalf of us uh, so that we can go free. 
but not free, but again, that we might become the bond servants of Christ, as Paul so often described himself. And therein is the obligation. And therein, in terms of his sovereignty, uh, he rules, he rules, he rules over a loving and a willing people. Uh, and that's what his purpose was in Christ, his decretive will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, do you have anything you want to comment on that? Well, yes. Yeah, some of it may be just, uh, uh, I, you know, I agree with what Marvin said, but when I think, you know, you said, what do you think when you hear the word sovereign, sovereign God, I think complete control and everything he does is for the good of his people. Uh, but on the discretive will, I mean, uh, it talks about, Beaky talked about uh, the, 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 um, uh, uh, let me get the word right. The uh, De- decorative, his, his uh, decretive will, will, the decorative will, will cause us, yeah, cause us to to be submissive, have a submissive trust of what God is doing, mm-hmm. and it's for His goodwill. And so that's what I think when I hear that. I, that's what I think. You know, what God is doing, what He's decreed is for. Uh, we need to be, have a submissive trust of Him as a sovereign God and as our, yeah. our Father. For his for the goodwill of, of what he's doing yeah and it's yeah. trinitarian i i, I quote uh, from 766 first paragraph there beaky which i i think is great or it's a very good quote he says uh god's will in the new testament is preeminently his plan of salvation executed through christ the mediator and lovingly applied to the holy spirit to the elect through the preaching of the gospel so uh it, it uh, although uh, although uh, the decree sounds uh, uh, sounds like the uh, uh, sound like the arbitrary actions of uh, of uh, of uh, uh, of someone who has absolute control, it is trinitarian in its nature. And that Van, I think, goes back to your point about the uh, decorative and the uh, uh, and the. Uh, 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 pre, precept, uh, preceptive uh, uh, natures of that as well. When you when you anchor it back in the Trinity, I think you you see that you see God's mm-hmm. wisdom in doing that and His wisdom in doing it that way. Right, right. So, so you know, the the first time I was sort of exposed to this, the first time this fell on my radar, is I was in seminary and there was a, a two volume set of books on. God's uh, sovereignty and his authority that came out. They were just a compilation of essays. And I remember John Piper had an essay in uh, one of those volumes that, that I think, I believe the title was, it uh, was, are there two wills in God? And I, I just thought, wow, this is very interesting. I've never heard of anything like that. And then he went through and he talked about both of these. He talked about the moral will of God which basically would be, you know, what God has revealed in scripture, uh, do this or either don't do this. I mean, his commands, basically that is his, his, uh, his, his will of precept, you know, thou shalt not kill. That is God's will for every person in this world that they don't kill. They don't murder. Uh, but yet there's also God's decorative will, what he has decreed. And every time we do see a murder, every time we do see a killing, we know that, that didn't just happen arbitrarily. That did just right. happen by accident. That was for God's own purposes and for God's own reasons. And ultimately for God's own glory, even though we may not know how it works out that that murder was decreed by God to take place to happen. And again, I think we can go to uh, Acts chapter two, and I think we can just reason from the greater to the lesser when we can look at the, the absolute worst quote unquote murder that ever happened the the worst injustice of uh, of the taking of a life although in this sense you know right. Christ himself laid down his life but but they were trying to ta- I mean they were taking it they crucified him yeah. uh they there you have you know and again in that one verse he says you did it by godless hands you you sinners you you did this you were liable for the sin you're culpable for the sin because you transgressed God's will of precept. He's his perceptive will. You broke his commandments, but yet at the very beginning of the verse, it says, uh, Christ by the predetermined plan of God. And that goes to his decorative will. God had a predetermined plan. God decreed that his son would go to the cross. And he, like you said, Marvin, he would provide the atonement for our right. sin, but to do that, it had to be the means of crucifixion. 
And, right. and these guys were not puppets on a string. These guys were not yep. going against their will saying, I don't want to crucify Jesus. I don't want to, but I'm being dragged to do it because yeah. of God's decorative will. You know, right. no, they, they were all in. They wanted And that's this. a caricature here, isn't it? It's yeah. a caricature. Yeah, it is. It is. Absolutely. And so, so for me, that, that essay really helped clear it up. And then quite honest with you, I didn't even have it on my radar that there would be these two aspects of God's will. Is it God's will for us not to murder, not to lie, not right. to commit adultery, all these things? Yes. We see that in the 10 commandments, but yet as that unfolds and that happens, it goes, it goes to God's sovereignty that there's right. not one single, our confession says, and I won't put it in the exact words, but basically there's not one single thing that takes place in this entire created order that is outside of the sovereign providence and right. sovereign power of God. Yeah. And I, I think there's a pastoral application of that as well. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Um, I, uh, years ago when I was in, in Missouri, uh, uh, one of my friends and his, his wife were, uh, uh, they'd been married a number of years and they hadn't started a family and they had their first child. Well, the child was, uh, born with some hideous genetic disease or defect. Mm -hmm. The baby, the baby lived nine days. And to the degree that we can measure the suffering of an infant or a newborn, I mean, it was, it was, a, it was a pretty rough nine days. And mm -hmm. of course the, the Lord took him, uh, the friend of mine, uh, who, uh, is a re reformed Baptist, uh, did the funeral. And the first thing he started with is, you know, there are some people that will tell you God was not anywhere near this suffering and this death, but I'm here to tell you that if he wasn't, that it would, that it would bring me to suicide, mm. uh, that, uh, that I believe that God is involved in this. And I believe very often in a case like that, and I think Paul does this often, he argues from the greater to the lesser. I mean, again, going back to the illustration of the crucifixion, I mean, in terms of God's reaction to suffering and his, and his, uh, and his saving purpose in that, I mean, how can we look at that? And then in this matter, how can we think that God would be unmerciful or uh, would be harsh and evil in this when he gave his own son as the measure, as the greatest measure of this? And as you stand at the graveside of, of a nine-year-old uh, newborn um, and you uh, surrender him to the ground and, and, and place your hope in God, uh, it's that which gives enormous comfort. And it's of great pastoral use, I think. Uh, and I think what my friend said is exactly right. I mean, God's sovereignty, not only in creation and in providence, but also in our individual lives, we always have to measure the lesser, however real and painful our suffering is, we always are, are called to measure it against the greater suffering of his own son. Uh, and then as Paul says in Romans eight, uh, if he's given, how, how much more will he also freely give us all of these things? I think mm -hmm. that's where it flows down and that's where the pastoral application of that is. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I can't imagine, uh, walking through those, those deep waters of, uh, pain and despair. But, um, but if I was for someone to say, you know, brother, God has reasons for this. And even though you may not see it, you may not understand it. And though you're, you were in the throes of, of pain and hurt and sorrow and mourning, uh, he has promised to you that for the believer, all things that he works out are yep. for his good, uh, for his glory and for your good. And somehow the Lord is going to use us ultimately right. to bring about your ultimate good, which for right. us as believers, our ultimate good is to become more and more conformed to the very image of Christ. And that is the thing that we should treasure uh, above everything else that even in my hurt and my pain would be much more comforting than for me to think, like you said, Marvin, you know, someone would say God was not in this. So here I was through the whole nine days, you know, wringing my hands, you know, my, my, my heart being wrenched out of my chest. And, and then there's God in heaven doing the same thing, you right. know, uh, powerless to do anything, wringing yeah. his hands in heaven. And uh, there's no comfort for me in that. Yeah. As the old, as the old hymn writer says, full of pity joined with power. <laughs> I love yeah. that. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Mm. Mike, any, any comments on it? And sp speaking of practical applications, uh, Mike, uh, uh, 
then I'll, I'll let you hit on this if you want to say something. But but afterwards, I, I just want to talk just a second about omnipotence of power. And then Mike, he's got eight, <coughs> excuse me, eight practical applications of the sovereignty of God. And if you would, brother, would you walk us through those Absolutely. at the very end here? And then we'll just wrap sure. up after that because I'm sure our time will be out. But uh, any comment just on what Marvin said, just that pastoral uh, implication and what he in, in real life had to step through as a pastor? Or no, I think experience like that. No, I think it's. I think it was very good uh, when you compare compare it. You know, from higher to lower, uh, and just I was looking in one section and kind of summarized it, and it's just that we we as uh, as God's children need to you know we need to understand the difference between the two wills and what our responsibility is, I and mean, that's what he kind of highlighted when he went through that section. So I mean, no other than that, I have nothing to add. I mean, it's just. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean. I go, I go back to one thing that, that really, uh, when I was reading this and kind of summarizing all the chapters, and one thing that really came out as a key is, uh, was our great knowledge is to, to, to know him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, put, frame that, put it on the wall, baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, before we get into the practical applications and then Mike, just walk us through and, and you can comment on them and Marvin, you can throw in a comment here and there as well. I just jump in as Mike is stepping through it, but, uh, but real quick, God could, and, and I want to say this reverently, reverently, but just to make the point, God could say he's sovereign all day long, but it wouldn't mean a single thing if he did not have the power and the omnipotence to carry out his sovereignty. And, and he does scripture is very clear that he does. And I just want to read this on page 773. Beaky writes, we call God's infinite power, his omnipotence. Uh, and then he has a quote by James Usher. Uh, well, not a quote, but just some bullet points. Uh, James Usher was a, a Puritan. He wrote um, voluminous stuff. And he the says, Usher James... chronology. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That's right. <laughs> you see that big, massive book? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, James Usher offered the following summary of divine omnipotence. And he says this first, he is able to perform God, he's talking about, is able to perform whatsoever he will or is not contrary to his nature. And we sort of talked about that yesterday when we said during the sermon, is there something that almighty, sovereign, powerful God cannot do? And the answer was yes. And we went to two scriptures that said, you know, he cannot lie. It is impossible for him to lie. So there are certain things that God cannot do. But like the uh, children's catechism says, uh, talking about God's power, what can God do? What is God able to do? He's able to do all his holy will. Anything that he so chooses to do in alignment with his will, he has the power to do it. So he says, second, he can do all things without labor and most easily. Third, he can do them either with means or without means or contrary to means as pleases him. Fourth, there is no power which can resist him. Fifth, all power is so in God only that no creature is able to do anything, but as he does continually receive power from God to do it. And so basically the point is this, God is sovereign and he's got the omnipotence to back it up. He can carry out all his holy will. He can do anything he chooses to do. There's no man who can thwart his will. There's nothing in all creation that can stop him from doing his will. So he has a sovereign power to do so. So, uh, so with that, let's go over to our practical applications that Beaky has starting on page 776. He gives eight of them and I thought these were excellent. And again, Marvin, these sort of dovetail these eight with the one you brought up of your own, you know, actual pastoral experience there. Uh, but Mike, would you just step us through these real quick? Sure. The first was, uh, God's sovereign call to, uh, calls us to a, a repentance from rebellion and, um, and I just highlight, he quotes Watson, it's better uh, to meet God with tears in our eyes than a weapon in our hands. Mm, and it wow, that's goes back, <laughs> Yeah, it goes back to what one of the, the, the points you read earlier. And it's, he said, God can crush you in a moment. Will you not therefore bow before him? If we, have, if we have repented and been reconciled to God, let us wage ceaseless wars against our remaining insubordination. So when we come to repentance in God, it, it should be... Uh, as a child, and this relates to we, we should approach him with, with the respect, a, a reverent fear, which is number three. <laughs> um, yeah. 
you know, to respect him for who he is and have a, a fear like a child, like father. I mean, it's like uh, when you when we approached our father for uh, for discipline, we didn't we weren't uh, fearful of him for the for abuse. But it was that respect of, of the authority that he had as the head of the family. And so um, uh, that, that's that's how that's how I, I, I was that brought memories back of that. And I think I think all of these probably overlap or or, or, or uh, feed on uh, have overlap with each other. They're not dovetail. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, they're, they're dovetail. The second was uh, God's sovereignty calls us to trust in the, in the promises. Uh, we may have plans, but we got to have that that uh, submissive trust that our that he you know that our plans are just that our plans and he's uh, you know God's going to um, guide us and direct us and it may not be the way we want it, but we got to trust that his his plans are for our good and that's the big thing. Uh, we have plans, but our plans uh, you know we're we're, we're uh, we have uh, we we fight sin. We're in a, live in a fallen world. I mean, you know, well, we our plans may not 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 meet with his plans, or our, our plans may contain some some uh, efforts that maybe are are too self centered. Because uh, uh, we that's just human nature at times to be to look out for self, and you know you take your you know, your eyes off of God. So he keeps us on track to to use us as to accomplish whatever purpose he has set out for us. Mm-hmm. Um, a reverent fear. Uh, sovereignty calls us to a reverent fear. We should fear God who created the stars. I mean, he is our creator, so we should fear him. We should respect him. Um, uh, number four, uh, God's sovereignty calls us to humble praise. Mm. And uh, I can't carry a tune. Kathleen's told me that numerous times. <laughs> I'm right there with you, brother. <laughs> He says we should sing unto the Lord and make a joyful noise, for He is a great God and a great King above all gods. I mean, we should we should rejoice in that. We should tell other people about that. It should it should it should uh, be part of that. You know, uh, uh, radiate from our heart. You know, uh, from our speech and what we say and how we think should be should be uh, a humble praise and honor and, and, and glory to God, our, our Creator. Yeah. And, and I'll say this, he, he talks about humility here too, as yeah. far as praise. And, and you think about it when we, when we're talking about God's sovereignty, again, we're also talking about that omnipotence, that power. And I know there, there've been a few times in my life where, you know, uh, sort of at the, uh, the, 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 like the coming of a hurricane or things like that. And, and you, there's almost this foreboding. There's this, you know, um, you all of a sudden see how small you are compared to this awesome magnified power that you were in essence up against. And it really does, uh, you know, cause you to just, just to be humble. You realize, you know, you walk through life and you may think, you know, uh, a certain thing of yourself, but, but when faced with something like that, you know, when you have, for instance, a hurricane coming to your, your area, you know, you are utterly at the mercy of the power of that hurricane. And again, God is sovereign even over that. But, uh, but when it comes to the sovereignty of God, how we should humble ourselves and praise for his power and his sovereignty and who he is as, as the almighty. Exactly. The fifth one, it was, uh, uh, God's sovereignty calls us to faithful service. Um, and then uh, uh, whatever authority influence you may have, remember that these are delegated to you from the Lord. So our, our uh, so I, uh, I guess the way uh, we, we're, we're, we're um, we, he's blessed us and given us gifts and talents and we, and uh, we need to use those in our faithful service to, to advance his, uh, his kingdom for his glory and, and, and edification. Um, and, and to, to use them in a way, in a way that, uh, and I guess he, he, you know, with uh, the wisdom, I mean, our use of our uh, gifts for faithful service, I mean, we should be going to God and, and asking uh, for wisdom and how we should use our, our, our gifts and our faithful service. Uh, uh, so that's not kind of, that's not exactly what he said, but I, that's the way I look at it. We have faithful service. We have gifts. We have talents. We're, we're all, we're part of one body. So, I mean, we need to be requesting uh, to God, petitioning him for 
a wise use of those resources. Because mm-hmm. uh, I mean, we are, we're stewards of the gifts we've been given to as well as the possessions he gives us. Uh, his sovereignty calls us to submissive and submission and sorrows. Um, and uh, I, I think we probably uh, kind of touched on this already when mm-hmm. our discussions, when bad news strikes a families, our families, God grace enables to say it is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth good. And that's first Samuel three eighteen. Um, yeah, so if it, I, if I could just on. read just a little bit what he has yeah. here, because it really, really jumped out at me. And, and I think maybe this is a problem when people have difficult circumstances, difficult providences they deal with. And they're, instead of drawing closer to God, they, that they pull away and there's, there's just something about it. maybe a, a bitterness or something that grows there. But if we had this attitude, it would be hard, not to impossible for that to fester in our hearts. But Beaky says this, he says, God has both the right and the power to do with us as he sees best. Though God's omnipotence grates harshly on the sufferer's ear when he is in rebellion against his maker, this truth enables the saint to repent of his bitter complaints, put his hand over his mouth, and bow before the incomprehensible majesty of God. Now, that is amazing there. And you think about the difficulties we can go through and how we need to do that, that we need to have the, the attitude God, who am I? You you created me. You brought me into being. You can dispose of me in any way you wish because I am absolutely yours. I'm a totally contingent being. I would not even be in existence were it not for you. So surely, yes, you can do with me whatever you will. Yeah. yeah. And I like the fact he quotes Job there because, mm-hmm. again, that uh, uh, God in that declaration of his acts of sovereignty and creation and and goodness again that, those are the things that act, that eventually shut job's mouth and broke his heart yeah yeah uh number seven was uh, god's sovereignty calls us to have hope for salvation of others uh, and i guess when we look at it when we when we're sitting there and we we, we pray for the lost and we are we see an individual and their heart is so hardened but and we we may think that that no, they're, they're never, but he's telling us that we need to pray and hope for their salvation because all things are possible with God. Uh, so, uh, we can, we got to remember that it's, it's, it gets God, you know, it's our responsibility to, to go out and, and share God's word. Uh, and, uh, but God is the one that's going to be doing the, uh, the, the harvesting. He's, he's, he, he's the one that saves, not us. Right. Um, and that leads perfectly to the eighth one, right? Yeah. Boldness in prayer. Yeah, that's right. Um, let's see. God's sovereignty calls us to boldness in prayer. And so I just think, uh, you know, we need to remember who God is. I mean, in his sovereign, his sovereignty, I mean, his all knowing. And that's something when we approach him in prayer, we need to remember that. And nothing's too small. Nothing's too big. I mean, and uh, we and it goes back into praying the will of God and how do we know what the will of God is? Well, the only way we know the will of God is staying in his word and reading his word, meditating on his word, reflecting on his word, memorizing his word helps us in our, in our prayer life. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. And let me just close with this and I'll give it over to you guys, any parting shots, but uh, I love, you know, at the end of every chapter, Beaky has these sections. Uh, he has a question section, questions for closer reflection. But I love the section he has. It's titled Sing to the Lord. And he always has a hymn there that is based off of what the chapter was about. And I just want to read, I'm not going to sing, but I'm going to, I want to read the the first two verses of, of this hymn he has here at the end of this chapter on God's sovereignty. He says, the Lord is King, lift up thy voice, O earth and all ye heavens rejoice from world to world. The joy shall ring. The Lord omnipotent is King. The Lord is king, who then shall dare resist his will, distrust his care, or murmur at his wise decrees or doubt his royal promises? I'm telling you, those those are wonderful words to have on our heart, to have in our minds, especially as we go through through very difficult trials. All right. Well, it looks like our time is out, guys. We um, We had to just skip a whole lot of stuff. And so for those 
uh, one or two people, maybe three who, who might be listening to <laughs> yeah, us. That's right. I would encourage you, uh, pick up, pick up Beaky systematic theology. It's entitled reform systematic theology. Uh, it's projected to be four volumes. He's released three volumes so far. We are on volume one. Uh, we really made our way about halfway through it by now. Uh, we're going to be picking up on chapter 43, 43, 44, and 45, for next time. But I would encourage you if, if you're listening to us and kind of tracking with us on the audio or the video, I'd encourage you uh, pick up the book and, and, and so much good stuff that we just don't have time to even touch on, uh, read it, follow along with us there. And, uh, and, and you will be the better for it. All right. Anything else guys, before we sign off for today? No, nope. All time, right. Well, time to bid farewell. All right. Well, Marvin, would you mind closing us in prayer today, brother? Sure. All right. Father, how grateful we are that we've touched on uh, just the hem of the garment of mm. of your goodness. Uh, and Father, as we've looked at these things, and uh, uh, Beaky tries to use human language to uh, to describe the majestic, uh, to describe things that are beyond our understanding. Uh, but yet he does that uh, so powerfully and plainly through the biblical revelation. And as he does, he uh, gives us a sure and a faithful guide uh, through the controversies of the day. And not that some of the questions are not important, uh, but again, they are not insurmountable in, in your will. And to those, and to those areas, Father, where we can't offer uh, a complete assurance upon the grounds and the assumption of the question father uh, let us like joe put our hand over our mouth and let us uh, uh, let us uh, uh, bow ourselves to the dust uh, as we see uh, the sovereignty of god even as van was saying even even over the weather and the wind itself over the massive hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes and all those things that as paul says in romans 8 uh, display uh, the groaning of the creation to be free from the penalty of our sins. And Father, we thank you one day that it will be, uh, that in that day in which by your sovereign decree, which is according to your timetable and which Jesus says uh, is in the Father's hand, uh, you will come and you will make all things right. You will, uh, you, you will reward those in, in Christ and you will punish the wicked, but also that you will uh, create a new heaven and a new earth where we can live and serve you uh, without taint or temptation of sin uh, to where all the um, uh, all the capacities and powers within you created us with uh, that have been dulled and suppressed by sin father they shall be fully released into uh, into a new service for you that is unbounded uh, and through eternity uh, will be uh, on glorious display uh, not for our glory, but for yours to give, uh, to give absolute uh, praise and glory uh, to your sovereign ruler, rulership and, and King Jesus himself as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world will rule and reign and will, uh, and will uh, love those from uh, eternally uh, in, uh, in heaven, in the new, in the new creation as the second Adam, he will love mm -hmm. those eternally father who have placed their trust in him and who now have a foretaste of that, which is to come Lord Jesus come quickly. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. 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 All right. Well, brothers, thank you very much. And, uh, we will see you next time. Yep. All right.